the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson. Things are good. Things are good. I just got back from a week up in Michigan, hung out on the lake. We had beautiful weather, had a great, great time, but it's good to be with you. Yeah, you've, uh, you're have you nice and refreshed. We talked in the Guild a little bit, but you, otherwise you've been sort of, I would say, I wouldn't say completely radio silent, but you, we texted a little bit, but you've been sort of, sort of off the grid. Yeah, I've seen you posted on social media a little bit. Yeah, I've been trying to tone down my angry posts and make them sort of more funny than anything. Well, you're not doing a very good job of it. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> All right, well, you want to introduce our guest today? Yeah, uh, this is a guest I'm actually, I'm really, really excited about having on. He's going to talk about some topics that are covered a lot in the group and that are asked in the Guild. And so um, his name is Adam Collins. He is with MGA. He's the managing director of MGA, which is a full service real estate advisory firm focused on caring for the needs of all types of users of commercial real estate. And we'll get into the rest of Adam's story in a little bit. But Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited. Adam, you know, I know we're going to talk a lot about commercial real estate, but whenever we have an entrepreneur on the show, we like to talk about business growth and marketing, things like that. Tell us a little bit about your journey from, you know, startup to where you are today. Yeah. So real estate is definitely super entrepreneurial, obviously. I've always kind of viewed it, uh, or I started to get more traction and more success once I started to view, even though I've you know, work for MGA, worked for another firm in the past, you're still like the CEO of, of Me Inc. is what uh, one of my mentors said. And so operating my business, my real estate business, kind of as my own individual CEO with my own finance department, marketing department, sales department, everything like that. So I got into real estate about seven years ago. And I, you know, I wanted to really, I like the idea of, of, of creating something tangible, right? Being able to place office users or, or, or people who are purchasing real estate uh, and really being able to see it and actually driving down the street and saying, hey, there's a client of mine. I helped that business grow. I helped, you know, because the deal we structured, they were able to hire an additional five, 10 employees. So, so that's why I got into real estate and I have a long history of my family living here in the DC area. So there's a lot of pressure and there are, they're quite well known. So there, there's a lot of pressure internally to, you know, leave my mark on, on this area. So Adam, we'll get into some of the stuff that I want to ask you about in a little bit, but I guess how, 
how do you get your clients? I mean, it's, I honestly don't see a lot of people advertising for commer- as commercial real estate agents. You see a lot of residential uh, real estate agents advertising. How, do, how does, does someone like you get good clients? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And something that I'm pretty serious about is the fact that you've got to be active in every area of, of the, that you can think of, right? So I gotten a lot of clients from just going to general networking events, chambers, commerce, or other networking events that put CFOs or COOs in the room. So doing that, then having my more personal referral-based networking group, I'm in a BNI group and, um, you know, been a part of other groups like that where I, I get referrals and then cultivating that network and other people that I meet even further. And it's more than just meeting them once at a, uh, at a networking event, but it's also, you know, taking them out for coffee or lunch or phone calls, you know, and having a, a systematic process to where you do that on a regular basis. And, and then of course, there's the, the, the digital piece of it, the digital marketing uh, on LinkedIn, you know, being active on there, staying top of mind. I do at least three digital pieces per week, which means probably two posts on LinkedIn and then also a newsletter or something that goes out to everybody's email address. And, and, you know, the newsletter is something that I started just this year and, you know, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And then I think in my second newsletter, I had somebody forward it to a family office and uh, they were working with a really wealthy, really wealthy investor and they were looking to buy a property for like 30 to 50 million dollars all right so i was like well i think i'm going to stick with the newsletters and continue to do those and then of course there's the the just the prospect dialing reaching out to um, those people that you want to be in touch with and that's been very successful if you can call somebody present your value proposition, a reason for calling that they're going to be interested in, um, which there's no shortage of, of reasons to call somebody today when we're talking about office space, when nobody's in their office. That's effective because then you get to go straight to the source, straight to who you want to talk to and tell them exactly why you want to talk to them and, and what, what you want to share with them. So to have all three of those in, in continuously and repeatedly doing those uh, on a daily and weekly basis is incredibly important nowadays because what I found is as in-person networking events drop off, I need to figure out another way to uh, attract and retain new clients. All right, Adam. So let's switch gears. Let's get over to real estate. I know that's the topic that we want to talk about the most with you today. And I'm not sure exactly where I want to go with this because I have my own personal real estate questions, but I don't know if that would be helpful or not for our audience. Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. But what mistakes do you find professional services making in working with a realtor or working with trying to obtain a new lease for office space? Well, I I think first and foremost, especially when you're in the small business area, the first mistake that somebody could make when talking about commercial real estate is to not use a broker. I think there's this like misconception that you might get a, some sort of a better deal because you're not using a real estate broker. But frankly, that's, that's a misnomer. And I've never seen that to be the case. The next is to, for those people who want to acquire real estate, whether it's purchasing or leasing, I think it's important to realize that uh, there's got to be mutual respect between you and the broker and realize that the broker is working for free until a deal closes. And so there's a certain amount of trust that's got to be built and you've got to show that, you know, if you're just starting out, for instance, you know, I've had startups approach me and it's important that before we just go out and look for space, which is 
the that's kind of the easier part of it is we need to make sure that your business is in line. We understand what kind of real estate you need. We understand what your goals are. We understand what the space looks like, you know, how it's going to function. That That's important to do a lot of that kind of legwork and pencil sharpening up front. And, and also, of course, make sure that your business plan and your business goals are, are in line with uh, the type of real estate that you want. And, and also, can show if you, you're going to go to a landlord and say, Hey, look, we're going to become partners for the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years. Uh, here's my business plan. I'm going to, this is how I'm going to be able to pay you for the you know foreseeable future. And now I want you to give me some free rent or a build out allowance or whatever it might be. So to make sure that you have all that kind of stuff in order before you go out and just jump and, and, and look at space, it's going to save you some heartache in the end. So Adam, you, you mentioned the the free rent, the build out allowance, and I think a lot of people that have negotiated a lease, they, they, they're at least a little bit familiar with those, but are there some other terms that you might be able to ask for that most people don't think about? Yeah, there's a lot of terms. I mean, think about if you're, I guess if you're a small business, like a, like a dentist, right? You want to be the only dentist in the office building, or you want to be the only dentist on your floor. You know, you could ask for exclusivity. Same with, you know, if you're a coffee shop or what have you. I deal mostly with office users, but you could ask for exclusivity. You could ask for, we could get into a little bit more in the weeds and seeds of things, but there's what's called operating expense real estate tax pass-throughs, and there's different provisions. You probably want to cap on those depending what size of a tenant you are, how much leverage you have with the landlord, you know, you can cap those expenses. Um, we talk about the escalation, you know, where's that at? Where is it going to be 2%, 3%, 4%? There, yeah, there, I mean, it kind of depends on, on what your needs are. Uh, I don't encourage people to simply ask for everything um, just because they can get it necessarily. I like to focus on a couple of different provisions which are going to help their business in the long run and which are going to be really important for them. But there's, you know, a, a lease is about anywhere between 50 and a hundred pages. So there's a lot of different provisions and a lot, and that's why every lease is, is a lot different. So I could go through all, all those, but I think that might get a little exhaustive. So right now with the coronavirus upon us, a lot of people and myself included are thinking, boy, do I really need office space? Um, what is the overall value of office space? And, you know, my lease is up in about two years. And my thought is, well, at the end of those two years, I'm either going to buy a building or I'm going to have everybody work from home. And so I know those are two very different mindsets, but I'm wondering what you're seeing out in the marketplace and what kind of conversations you're having around those types of issues. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are still trying to figure out how remote work plays into their company. And my clients, for the most part, and most of even my prospects, you know, definitely still see the need for the office. And it's for two specific reasons, and that's to emulate their company culture and to develop that company culture through mentorship and just seeing how, um, if you're, you know, an associate, you know, how does the, the managing level people, how, how do they do their job, you know, or what is a senior associate doing? How do they operate? And so the culture is, is important, but then also the collaboration is also important. Um, the social aspect of the office space shouldn't be forgotten. You know, impromptu collaborations from teams. I, I know that we've been back at the office for about um, a little over a month now, and we've had a lot of impromptu meetings. We've developed a whole new training course for our juniors, for our associate brokers over the last month. And, and that I don't know would have been possible if we didn't get 
to have, you know, impromptu last minute meetings and, and just kind of like bounce ideas off of each other. And, uh, and now it's going to be to the great benefit of our company in, in training those younger people to become leaders um, for the next generation. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I'm seeing most people. And, you know, we've seen, you know, although there have been uh, initially in March and April, we saw a lot of tech companies and a lot of companies in general say, oh, this is going to change the way that we're going to work forever, which I, I think that it might, but I don't know that it reduces the office space need. Facebook signed in Manhattan 2.2 million square feet of office space in the last two months. Microsoft just did a 400,000 square foot deal down here in, in the district or uh, just outside of DC, actually. You know, Twitter, although they are saying that they're going to be working from home forever, Jack Dorsey mentions that they have no plans to reduce the real estate at all. So I, I don't know that it's actually going to reduce significantly um, a lot of people that have office space. I think most organizations are going to realize we still need office space, maybe a little bit smaller than before, because we are going to have people working from home for, you know, two to three days a week. And so there's ways to kind of contract our office space a little bit, which is what I've been helping a couple of clients do. We just put into plan a place for one client to reduce their space by 50%, which was not necessarily COVID driven. Uh, and then another client, we're, we're putting into place uh, a plan where they're going to reduce their space by, by about 30%, um, which you know amounts to significant savings. If you can find a way to, to, com- to uh, consolidate some of your office space, you know, this, this particular client will save about $3 million by doing that. So Adam, a lot of the people that listen to this show are solo and small firms. And so finding a smaller firm or a smaller office can be fairly difficult. Do you have any tips on, on for firms that are looking for smaller office spaces? Like for example, maybe a couple offices in a conference room, something like that. Yeah. I, I think if you're looking for a couple offices in a conference room, I think you'll have a lot of success or I would hope that you could have some success by first looking at your network. I know that there's a lot of, especially if you're a law firm, there are a lot of bigger law firms that do have extra space. And nowadays, even more so. If we're seeing more people work from home and and big law uh, historically has taken on way too much office space. And so we've seen them, you know, every new law firm office lease is probably 75% of their last space. Big law here kind of controls part of the real, it's federal government and big law firms are the two largest occupiers of office space here in the DC area. So look in your network and see if you can't find, you know, somebody that has a larger office space and to sublet a couple offices if you don't mind sharing. Secondly, yeah, I mean, you can reach out to a broker. Um, again, you know, if you're using a, a, a tenant broker like myself, there is no fee involved and our fee is paid for by the landlords. And so if you're, if you want to find, you know, a young hungry broker who wants to help you find a space that is going to be suitable for you, I would certainly say that's a good place to start uh, as well. But I think that you'd be surprised at what you could find in your network. I think a lot of, I, I know a lot of small business owners, um, not necessarily all of them are clients, but they, you know, I always tell them, hey, why don't you look in your network to find either a place to sublease or to find a subtenant if they have a bigger office. All right, Adam, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms trusted by many lawyers, including us at the Hacking Law Practice. At my immigration practice, Smith AI's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish. They screen and schedule our new leads and even take payment for our consults. best part is that we, they don't just handle these conversations via phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. 
They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Smith AI now offers 24-7 virtual receptionist services, answering calls, website chats, texts, and Facebook messages. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. And that chatbot works really well. Uh, try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum listeners get an awesome extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100. That's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. Sign up and learn more at Smith AI. Trust me when I say don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI. All right, Adam. So I'm opening up an office, a satellite office in San Diego. And one of the neat listings that they had there is just like people who want to sublet a little space like you were just discussing before we went to the break. Um, What kind of things should someone in a sublet situation be thinking about or what conversation should I be having with the potential, I guess, landlord or, or the, the intermediate tenant? So uh, I think what's emerged now and it's becoming more prevalent than maybe it was a year ago and it probably wouldn't have been on top of my mind is, uh, yeah, I think you do have to understand your sub landlord's credit um, or at least know that if you're going to be paying them rent, you know, that's going to be enough to offset them, right? So you don't want to enter an agreement with a sub landlord who might default on the lease, because if that happens, then you also lose your space in most cases. Um, you know, review the lease documents, both the sublease and the, the prime lease to see if that's the case. But in, in, in my experience, if the sub landlord were to default, the subtenant would also be kind of out of luck. So now that we're going through an economic downturn and we're, we luckily haven't seen many uh, office tenants defaulting on leases, not above, uh, you know, I think it's about, you know, in general, um, just about 3% or so. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those fears and there are certainly some organizations out there that are going to be harder hit by an economic downturn than others. So it's something to look into and worth noting. Other than that, um, if you're looking at just, you know, a smaller sublease, you know, a, a lot of the terms of and the rights that you have as a subtenant are going to be dictated by the prime lease. So certainly understand what the prime lease says uh, and your sublease documents probably going to... Um, for the most part, refer back to the prime lease on most uh, of the of the bigger clauses. So uh, I, I would obviously take a, a solid look at at the uh, the prime lease before entering into a, a sublease arrangement, uh, and then also understand that the the, the prime landlord is going to have the right to review your financials, and they're going to have the right they're going to need to consent to the sublease. So they you know they may also ask to see your financial history, your tax returns, or profit and loss statements. All right. So I've got a couple of a couple questions that are somewhat related. So we've got two separate office spaces. We've got one in St. Louis and then one in Columbia. And we're, we're looking for space in Columbia now. And there's a, a big difference between Columbia and St. Louis and negotiating those two. But one of the big differences is that triple net leases are far more common in, in Columbia than St. Louis, way more common. And so I guess one question is, is the positive and negatives of triple net leases. And then the other one is, is there like a centralized MLS of like, like there is with, with residential real estate that you can look for office space? Cause it's, it's, they're not easy to find, honestly, they're, it's kind of difficult. Yeah. So let's take that one first. There's CoStar, which is what we use. 
you would not, I mean, it, it's, it's quite expensive to, to get. It's not like the MLS where you pay like 50 or hundred bucks a month. It's, it's a few thousand dollars, but they also have, they also own LoopNet, which is kind of a spinoff and more for the general public. And I think that allows you to see some office space. I think they might, but it might be like 50% of what you can find on CoStar. So if you want to see everything, you know, at least here in the DC area, the only option basically is to use a broker to find everything. Um, other than that, LoopNet, it's a good place to start because they do have a good amount of space on there. And uh, in each in each market across the country, there's different emerging uh, competing platforms to CoStar, but they've so far not taken up any sort of real steam to, to get broader than just, you know, smaller regional markets. As far as a triple net lease and a full service lease, it's interesting to say that. So in, in DC, the majority of leases are full service, probably about 90 to 95% of office leases are full service. We do see obviously retail is triple net uh, and then some trophy buildings are triple net. There's not necessarily a benefit one way or the other, uh, you know, full service makes things a little bit easier from accounting perspective, just to know exactly what you're paying. It's a little bit easier. You don't have to then go in and consistently audit the landlord's pastors to you, the triple net pastors. So, I mean, but, but there's validity to both. Uh, you, the more important number is to understand if you're going through a triple net lease, I would suggest that you do a very thorough investigation of the previous few years worth of operating expenses in triple in, uh, in real estate taxes, because if they're telling you that it's, $8 a square foot this year, but the last three years it was $12. You don't want to get, then get that pass through to you and you're paying all of a sudden an additional four bucks a square foot. So it's uh, just to understand the property's operating history is probably a little bit more important in a triple net deal. Um, you know, at my firm, we, we, we audit both triple net and full service leases and we find discrepancies. We found about, even in, in full service leases, when we're talking about pass-through costs, we found about 43% of the time or a little bit more than that, that there's an error where the landlord is overcharging the tenant. And, you know, normally not maliciously, it's usually just an accounting error, but we've had errors as large as a million and a half dollars. So uh, it, it's certainly something to, to worth note noting that uh, you should, you know, be cognizant of the fact that you want to do your own research as well, or actually not your own. Um, I would suggest you hire a real estate firm. If you use a, a tenant only firm, a lot of times they'll do it at, at no cost. The bigger brokerage firms like CBRE, JLL, I'm not sure that um, that's the case. I think they have to outsource that to a third party, which will take a contingency fee. But um, yeah, it's certain you want to have somebody with uh, some experienced eyes looking at that. My wife likes to make fun of me a lot. She says, you'll sue the federal government, but you don't like taking a return to target. And one of the things that I don't like is haggling back and forth with a landlord over a lease. But tell us some stories or give me some examples of people who sort of take a firm line and where's the market right now? I would assume that things are in the tenant's favor just because so many people are starting to think about permanently working from home. Yeah, we are certainly in a tenant's market uh, across the country. If you would ask me six, seven months ago, most cities were actually a landlord market. And what I mean by that is vacancy was, you know, on the decline in most cities and the demand was up. DC was the opposite. DC has already has been in a tenant's market really for the, most of the last decade, actually. Um, and that's because we're, you know, building a lot of new buildings. There's a lot of new areas, a lot of new development. So our vacancy rate has 
stayed much higher than the na- the nation's average. But a tenant's market's not necessarily what you think of when it comes to I'm going to get you know 50% off of my rent. A lot of landlords like to keep the rental rate about the same. Um, they don't want to deviate too far from you know what their asking rate is. They, they you know there's obviously some negotiation that can be had, but you'll get other concessions such as the rent abatement, the tenant improvement allowance, some of the intangible things like the exclusivity clause. Um, so that's where you can get a little bit more creative. You know, I'm asking landlords to pay for my clients' furniture, their moving expenses, their wiring costs. Uh, so putting more pressure on the landlords to make it a more enticing move is what we start to see before we see a drop in asking rate. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, but it's not as though we're in a place where landlords are going to start to make bad deals for them. Uh, I would urge anybody, you know, I've got clients that think everything's going to be on a fire sale. And so to kind of coach them and say, no, you can get a good deal, but you know, we can't offer 50% of what they're asking. You know, we'd still need to make sense for every party. And so I think it's, it's when you're negotiating, it's, it's wise to understand that the other side is a business or a person. They're going to only make a decision based on, you know, whether or not it's actually financially viable. And if it's not, they just would rather have the space sit. And, you know, for, for some people that's, that's hard to understand is that a landlord would rather have uh, an office space sit vacant than to sign a deal that does not work for them. So, I mean, that's something that that's fascinated me as well. Cause I, whenever we were negotiating a couple of the leases, we were, I mean, I'm, I was doing the math and thinking like they're, they're going to lose money. If they were to accept my offer, instead of letting it sit for another year, they would, they would come out as a net positive. And I don't, I guess I don't quite understand the math as to why it makes sense for them to let it sit vacant. I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So the thing about real estate is a lot of people, you know, don't understand when you're talking about signing on a new tenant, a lot of the deals that I'm working on, the landlord doesn't start to break even until you're three to five, right? So that's why, that's another reason why um, lease terms are so long is because if I'm asking a landlord to spend $80 a square foot to build out my client's space, uh, or let's say $100 a square foot to build up my client space, if the rent is $50 a square foot a, a year, and I'm also asking them for a year's worth of free rent, right? So that's already year three minus their debt payments. That takes them into year six or so uh, before they actually start to recoup any of the money. So from year six to 10, you know, they're making you know, less of a profit than your, you know, especially when you're talking full service. So if we're talking $50 full service, that means that they've got $25 in triple net charges. They've got a net income of $25 less their mortgage payments or their financing payments. So maybe $10 a square foot is what they get to come back into their pocket. And so if we're asking for a hundred, $150 in concessions, that takes quite a while, right? To kind of start to build up uh, enough return to, to make the deal make sense. So you might be offering what you think is a good deal because, oh, they'll make money in, in year three. But then once you start to dig into how these property owners operate and, and really understand them, which I think, uh, you know, We've get, my firm does a good job of doing kind of top-up negotiations and building up to our, what rent rate we're going to offer based on, you know, how the property is operating and, and what cost the landlord has to have to achieve that minimum acceptable rent payment. 
All right, Adam, we do need to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to give you an opportunity to, to let people know how to get in touch with you if they want to hire you or get some advice from you. How do they get in touch with you? Two ways. You can email me at acollins at mgaco.com. That's M as in Michael, G as in Goldman, A as in Associates, co.com. Or LinkedIn, Adam Collins on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm fairly active on there. So if you want to connect with me, just drop me a note and happy to connect with anybody. Very nice. All right. I also want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, get involved there. We have a lot of great activity going on every single day. Check us out at MaximLawyer.com for the guild because we are going to increase rates very soon. And so check us out there and get those rates locked in forever. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? So for my hack of the week, I'm still making my way through that book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. I put it down for a while, but I picked it back up on audio going to finish that up. And when I started listening to it, he talked about a concept from the coding world where computer programmers can write what they call sort of a lazy bit of code. And it works for a time, but at the end of the day, they're, they're going to have to go back and they know they're going to have to go back to fix it and make a more elegant code. And so they call that coding debt. And in the book, he transfers that concept of coding debt to management debt, that sometimes we make fast and easy, quick decisions that are going to have a price in the future. And that could be letting someone stay on too long or not dealing with a problem client or, you know, not fixing a process in your, in your firm. And so I just really like that concept of management debt to sort of sit down and look where the vulnerabilities, where are the things that we're going to have to fix later. And let's just build it right correctly the first time so that we don't have that come bite us at an inopportune time. I like it. Very good stuff. All right, Adam. So we always ask, our guests to give us a podcast, a book recommendation, any sort of tip or hack um, that might help our listeners. Do you have a tip or a hack for us? Sure. I would say uh, the book I'm reading now is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I'm sure you guys are familiar. It's a fantastic book on negotiation, not only in business and hostage situations, but also just in life and dealing with everybody uh, that you come in contact with. So that's been in especially the acridge style of negotiation, which he, uh, which he talks about in the book. Uh, I I recommend if you haven't read it, pick it up either on audible or, um, you know, a pick it up uh, in a physical copy. I, I love that book. I almost, I, I, I almost thought, uh, read back the last three words to you to see if, you, if you'd catch on, <laughs> um, but I decided not to. It's, it's such a good book. I love that book. All right. So my tip is it's way different from, it's not even a business related tip, but it's way different from what Adam and Jim recommended. So I found an app healthy together and it is to help with contact tracing. I know that some people don't want to be tracked and they don't want their phone to be tracked and all that. I get that. So this may not be for you, but I personally want to know if I've been around someone that has COVID. And so it will allow you, it, if they have similar technologies, it, it basically passes from phone to phone um, information about whether or not the person has had COVID or not, or if they've re- reported to have COVID. And so I want to know that. Not everybody does, but I do. So I recommend it. Adam, thanks so much. Selfishly, this has been a, a great episode for me because I'm right in the middle of doing all this stuff. So it's, it's, it's been great, but I know... A lot, of, a lot of members are going to get a lot out of this. So, so thanks so much for coming on. Of course. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, Adam. Take care, everybody. You too. Thanks, Adam. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum
Have a great week and catch you next time.